Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending April 1st, 2023. This week, Mickey Mouse doesn't have the right finger, but still flipped Perlmuter the bird. I'm Kim Hollis, ready to wear all my baseball hats again. I'm the big winner in this. (laughs) (laughs) With me are Tim Brighty, content creator, cheering his first place Mets. We're one and zero as we record this, so hooray! Uh, yes, and happy opening day to all of those who celebrate. <laughs> also, David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst, and wholly unable to take a day off. Why won't you let me live, Disney? <laughs> <laughs> and the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who just got a Keurig. Oh, did I mention I got a Keurig? <laughs> Uh, I had how, 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 how much coffee are you up to a day now? A lot. <laughs> coffee, 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 coffee. <laughs> In Warner Brothers Discovery News this week, CEO David Zaslav saw a dramatic pay cut in 2022, bringing in only $39 million, down from $246 million the previous year. Should we start a GoFundMe for him? <laughs> Zaslav received a major option grant in 2021, which is why his payout was so high that year. And that made him one of the highest paid CEOs on the planet at the time. He still received numerous bonuses in 2022 for basically tanking the company's stock. So I don't think anyone should be crying for him. If he were paid based on performance, he would have made $3.90, period. Surely the fact that he only made $39 million last year is cold comfort for all the people that got laid off last year. No kidding. There's another part of this story that we should not overlook, and that's we discussed a couple of weeks ago that David Zasloff restructured his bonuses because his bonus schedule at the time wasn't rewarding his work. So he did all of these acts of evil and then was not financially rewarded enough, so he needed to make sure that that happened. Some people would worry about the acts of evil. No, he worried about making sure his paycheck got fatter in future years. So rest assured, he'll do better than $39 million next year. In our deep dive, there were big happenings at Disney this week as the first round of layoffs came down and some big shots were let go. David, can you break it down for us? Yeah, I asked for three days off this week and so the world ended. (laughs) Swear to God, I actually went to uh, clients and said, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm going to have a minor procedure done. It'd be great if I had a couple of days off. Disney on Wednesday has its biggest news cycle in recent memory, no joke, and it starts with Isaac Perlmuter. Roll, what just happened to Isaac Perlmuter? He got his just desserts. He asked for layoffs, didn't he? Who got laid off? Isaac Perlmuter got laid off. Oh, folks, believe in karma. Karma is real. This is so glorious. This is exactly what happened. We spent a year and a half on this podcast talking about all of the issues that Disney was facing, and at one point, a proxy fight ensued where Isaac Perlmuter tried to put one of his people on Disney's board, specifically another billionaire who's also in his 80s named Nelson Peltz. Peltz, corporate raider extraordinaire, had no connecting skills to Disney's media empire. Like, seriously, I saw it described as Disney does everything cutting edge, state of the art, and this guy makes ketchup bottles. That's a fair evaluation, too. Peltz is only trying to get on Disney's board because Perlmuter and him are trying to bully Disney into doing more things the Ike Perlmuter way, which was the Marvel way for many, many years. Eventually, they realized, well, Bob Chappick's gone. Bob Iger's back. We can't push around Bob Iger the way we could Chappick. 
So we're going to back off. We will drop our proxy battle in exchange for your performing a lot of layoffs at Disney. And we are talking 7,000 layoffs, possibly. I mean, it's a staggering amount of people losing their jobs because a couple of billionaires can't beat Bob Iger. That's really this situation in a nutshell. So during the layoff round, Bob Iger got beautiful, glorious, satisfying revenge when he not only laid off Ike Perlmuter, but also all of Ike Perlmuter's cronies, including his famous fixer. So Marvel has just emphatically ended the Isaac Perlmuter era, and no one's going to miss it. Yeah, we were talking about this before the podcast, and my remark about this was that if you're going to lay off people who are loyal to the company, who have a love for the Walt Disney Company, then you also have to lay off people who are toxic to the company. Isaac Perlmutter does nothing for Disney other than the fact that he owns a piece of it. He does own stock in the company because he's the raider who bought Marvel years ago out of bankruptcy and rode it roughshod until finally selling it to Disney, where Disney then got all the Marvel properties. In selling it to Disney, Isaac Perlmutter got a share of Disney stock. And he has stayed on as chairman of Marvel Entertainment ever since. And yet I have yet to understand what he does other than be a thorn in everybody's side. I'm glad he's gone. We can talk about this a lot. And I mean, honestly, most of it is just perfect comeuppance. But the reality here is Disney is reconfiguring Marvel for its next generation. They have gotten rid of Victoria Alonso, and now they've gotten rid of Perlmuter and Perlmuter's cronies. And that means Disney is saying the people who've been holding us back, they had become too big of an impediment and we're sick of it. And they are making adjustments so that everyone is on the same page moving forward. And Disney also also had a second thing that isn't really about this podcast per se, but it kind of explains the state of mind. And that is we have learned Disney put in a poison pill for the Reedy Creek Improvement District this past month. During the final meeting where Disney had full control of the board of Reedy Creek, the people signed paperwork that, hey, gave Disney control of the land for Reedy Creek for another 30 years. It is the venerable King Charles III clause, and it is publicly humiliated governor of Florida. I mean, abject humiliation to the point where there's been stuttering and stammering and we'll take this to the Supreme Court if we have to type of nonsense about it because it is such an emphatic victory for Disney and they never saw it coming. And I've been joking. This is as close as you can have to a Mortal Kombat fatality in corporate governance. And that's what just happened here. Disney this week is playing offense. Yeah, a lot of this simply speaks to the effectiveness of Bob Iger as CEO. The guy is fearless and bold in his movements. Now, will some of this come back and bite Disney in the butt at some point? It may, but I feel Iger made the moves that were necessary to strengthen the company. Now, in addition to all these other moves, there were other cuts, David, at Disney, Freeform FX. Can you tell us about that? 
So there's not any one move that stands out to me. It's just kind of the totality of the moves. What happened is Disney has performed a first of three waves of layoffs. And some people like uh, Mark Levenstein, who is a senior VP of production at Hulu, Jane Bieber, a senior VP of production for Freeform, they're all leaving. And we're seeing some changes at other places like ABC Signature as well. And basically what Disney is doing is it is aligning disparate parts because we all know Disney channels and Disney streaming services have been working at, I wouldn't say cross purposes, but I would say walking on parallel paths before now and to save on money and to take care of all family business, for lack of better terminology, Disney is cleaning things up so that there is just Disney television moving forward. And so they're turning the negative of layoffs and I will never undersell the importance of thousands of layoffs because that's a lot of really good people losing their jobs and just being demoralized and feeling bad about themselves. It's sickening when this happens. But Disney is turning into a positive where they're becoming a more efficient company. Yeah, this this is a reflection of the reality of cable television. I've spoken to this frequently in the past when it comes to NBC Universal, a company that has a number of cable channels, some of which that get very little viewership. And so you get very little in terms of carriage fees from the cable companies and also very little in terms of ad revenue from advertisers eventually has to look at these cable channels and determine if they need to keep those cable channels around. NBC Universal has been cutting back on their cable channels over time. NBCSN is gone. The Olympic Channel is gone. They cut G4 TV, which was a channel that I would argue was mistakenly revived and then eventually got eliminated again. And now Disney's looking at the same and saying, look at all these channels we have. FX, FXX, FX Movies, Freeform, Disney Channel, Disney XD. Why do we have all these channels? They're not in a world where having so many channels makes sense anymore. And so we're seeing consolidation. I wouldn't be surprised if some of these channels were full on eliminated in due course. In our rapid fire, another team is launching their own streaming services as Yes Network is joining the party streaming Yankees games at $24.99 a month. We're going from regional sports networks to hyper-local sports networks. Red Sox and Bruins in Boston on NESN+, the New York Rangers and other hockey teams on MSG+, and now the Yankees and the Brooklyn Nets on Yes Network. I admire David's optimism that MLB and other professional leagues will intervene, eliminate blackouts, and make all games available through a single streaming service. But right now, this sure feels like we're on the wrong path. David, you're saying that, what, there's new contract negotiations coming up and the MLB commissioner is going to drop the hammer and tell all the teams that they have to put everything together in one basket? <laughs> Major League Baseball loves money too much to really do that. Consolidation isn't their thing. What they would like to do is sell to more services. And so we've reached a point where it's just an open guess where your team is going to be streaming on a given day. And I mean, even the things we counted out, look, I'm old enough to remember like the days of WTBS and WGN where you knew Cubs were going to be on, Braves are going to be on. It wasn't complicated. Right now, whenever I watch any sports event, the first thing I have to do is Google to figure out what is going to carry it on which service. I mean, it's just insane. And it's not going to get better. We had hope when Diamond kind of collapsed that maybe something would change, but Obviously, that's not the case, because if things were going to change, it should have happened on opening day. And I will toss out that Yes Network is part of the Bally Sports Regional Network 
system. It is majority owned by Yankee Entertainment, essentially the New York Yankees. But Diamond Sports is a minority owner, as is our uh, favorite talking point on this show, Blackstone also the owners of Candle Media. So Blackstone's got their fingers on a lot of little projects these days. I imagine that Diamond in their bankruptcy might lose a portion of their ownership here. But yeah, Yankee Entertainment isn't waiting for Bally Sports and Diamond to figure out what they're up to. Uh, They have decided to go ahead and just launch their own streaming service. How long before every major league professional team out there has their own streaming service? And would that not be a good thing for you, David? Wouldn't you then be able to just watch the Braves on Braves Plus or what have you? It would be so wonderful. It would make me cry (laughs) with joy. It's just going to take some time for all of this to shake out. Yeah, this does just feel like a little bit like, yes, and them are just going for a little bit of a cash grab here. If you're in the New York market and you somehow don't have cable, because yes, is generally part of a basic cable package to get the Yankees games. Yeah, yeah, I guess maybe it might be worth it. You know, 25 bucks a month or though supposedly there's a promotional fee for 200 for the season. Oh, boy. If you're out of the New York market, then you just want an MLB TV subscription because then you can watch everything for less than that. So this is, just seems like them going for cash because just because they can right now, because this whole industry is just in shambles and we're waiting for the fallout from the collapse of Diamond. And news broke this week that Amazon may be looking to buy itself a theater chain. Seriously? Called it. Called in last <laughs> week. Check the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, industry newsletter The Intersect is reporting that Jeff Bezos, who is no longer CEO at Amazon, but is still a major shareholder, has directed his advisors to look into buying AMC, the theater chain, not the network. The reasoning, honestly, in the article is tenuous. They say that maybe it's so Amazon can promote their movies for awards season or so they can promote products for sale at Amazon.com. But Amazon could already put their movies in art house theaters. There's nothing stopping them from doing that. And I don't think people go to a movie theater to to do some window shopping. Also, the fact that they're looking at AMC and not the equally distressed Cineworld parent of Regal seems unusual to me. Regal is currently in bankruptcy and is looking for buyers. No one else has added to this story from The Intersect so far, although many have repeated the headline that Amazon is going to buy AMC. I feel that there's no fire to this smoke, but you never know. It just seems highly unusual. I don't I don't understand why anyone would get into the movie theater business right now. Yeah, I was joking about this, but seriously, if you listen to the podcast last week, I made a similar comment about Apple where if Apple were going to do something, I, I disagree with what Rolla just said, actually. I think to an extent, it makes perfect sense to buy a chain right now because they're so financially distressed. You can get them for a fraction of what they're worth if, and this is a big if, we presume that we're talking about 50 to 70% recovery from the pandemic over time. And I think that's about right. I, I can see us getting up to 70% of the ticket sales of what we once were as a sustainable model for at least another 10 10 years or so. It's going to be like cable television where eventually the bottom's going to fall out, but it's going to be a gradual erosion. And because of that, I wouldn't look at AMC. Roll is right. Regal seems like the better acquisition to me, but I can justify this move. I just don't think the reporting on this is accurate. And I believe the stock price reflects that because Lord knows that AMC is 
certainly ready to go nuts with its stock price whenever something strange happens. If there were any truth to this whatsoever, it would probably have tripled by now. All right, Tim, before we talk about the ratings, let's cover the box office. Yeah, last week we saw John Wick Chapter 4 open with $73.8 million. This franchise just continually just blows my mind with how it's grown over the course of each movie. Has There's nothing else that's ever really been like this. That's not how it's supposed to work. I mean, in theory, it should, but that's not that's not how it ever plays out when it comes to franchises, especially when you hit the fourth movie. The sequel after the first one, sure, that makes sense. But to keep this momentum between the third and fourth movie, holy crap. Yeah, you'll sometimes see like oddities like this and like, let's say the Conjuring franchise. I'm not looking at the box office, mm-hmm. but that's just an example of something that gradually builds and sustains, but it's almost exclusive to horror as a rule for an action franchise to just keep doing this is staggering. It reminds me in terms of quality of Mission Impossible and the Mission Impossible 2, people didn't love. John Woo didn't necessarily tell a story there, but then you ask people what their favorite film is, the three, four, or five and a lot of them will say all of them just all of them i don't want to pick <laughs> john wick one through four is like that where i mean i was talking to a friend the other day and i said i think i prefer two and three and he goes oh that's hilarious my favorites are one and four and that's it's that good a franchise yeah it seems so unusual for a franchise to actually pick up momentum over time although i would say we've also seen something very similar with creed where each creed movie seems to have also gotten bigger over time and that in both of those franchises the biggest of them seems to be in the what we've been talking about as being the doldrums after the pandemic if ever we thought the uh, pandemic had killed theaters these movies are putting a lie to that but i would also say that uh, when and it was announced that Lionsgate was going to be doing a John Wick spinoff, The Continental, based on the hotel in the movie. At the time, I thought that was a stupid idea and that that concept had pretty much <laughs> run its course. Now, the executives at Lionsgate who greenlit that project need all the bonuses. That, that's genius. Yes, it's it's nice to have some some good news at the box office. We knew this one was going to going to be huge, but just the performance of this franchise over the last decade has has just been absolutely tremendous. And they've they've kept up the quality, and and it's it's just this another ridiculous career renaissance for Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Uh, this weekend, though, we're going to have Dungeons Dragons Honor Among Thieves. It has a Thursday estimate of $5.6 million, uh, headed into the weekend. That's, that's, that's pretty good because this, this movie looks like it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of people coming out of the theater saying that they really had a great time watching it. So honestly, the word of mouth is something that might get me into theaters this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I had forgotten. I knew there was a previous Dungeons Dragons movie that bombed. I would have given you like probably about 15 guesses before realizing it came out in the year 2000. God rolled. We choose to remember the cartoon, not the terrible movie. Exactly. I will say this. I wasn't willing to go to the theater this week because I wasn't healthy enough to go. But I did go ahead and go on eBay and buy the map they gave away (laughs) with the movie. So I think that promotion really, really worked. And I'm wondering if that might actually show the box office a bit inflated because they did the offer just that first day is the one time only. But we'll see. It was definitely an incentive that worked for me. That's what I'll say. That's cool. In other news, you know, Cocaine Bear will end up uh, having a higher final gross than Shazam Fury of the Gods. So go ahead and laugh. And uh, Scream 6 are across 100, 100 million after this weekend. So yeah, some positive news as we head into uh, what hopefully is a good April. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know we didn't have ratings last week. 
don't remind me. Yeah, I know. But we're back. So take it away. Yes, we're back. We have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, February 27th through Sunday, March 5th, after Nielsen has forsaken us and gave us no ratings for the previous week. So we have no idea how the number one show, which was absolutely number one the week before, did. But this week, the top show, of course, Outer Banks, 2.2 billion minutes viewed uh, for 30 total episodes because this was the first full week of availability of its third season. We knew it was going to be huge because the previous time we discussed ratings, it was 10th on the chart because people were definitely pre-gaming it in anticipation of it. So I assume that had to crack like, you know, probably a 3 billion, right? I mean, we'll never know, but that's my guess. Thanks, Nilsson. Hashtag one job. Yes. You, sorry, excuse for a once highly relevant company. They're not listening, so we can trash them all we want. Uh, moving on to second of the Murdaugh murders, a Southern scandal. One billion minutes for three episodes. <sighs> I mean, like I've closely followed the Murdoch case yeah. and um, I, I didn't I, watch it. You, <laughs> <So> <laughs> that you, you, you did mention it when we did, we did talk about this on what's new this week. Cause you were, you were familiar with it. Yeah. We all kind of figured it was going to be here, but that's just a ridiculous number. Come on people. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, we have a returning show in third, the Mandalorian from Disney plus now 17 total episodes, 823 million minutes viewed. The third season premiered on, March 1st with just the one new episode. It was, uh, it's going to be weekly. So that, that's a impressive premiere then. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I would have assumed it was going to be like they added, you know, maybe the first two or three episode season. Nope. Just one. So that's it's people, the thing. people you know, catching it, up and then, and then watching the new episode. I'm sure. If it had been four or 500 million, we would have been saying that's a great number. Yeah. 823 million. I mean, damn. Yeah. I mean, this has really always kind of been their flagship show i mean we know that they crush it on the movies but we always kind of expect better numbers from some of the shows but this has always been their best performer through the first two seasons just because i guess is it as simple as people just love the baby yoda it's got to be that because it can't be because it's a good story (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was about to just say yes (laughs) <laughs> There's video of Baby Yoda appearing for the first time at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disney's Hollywood Studios. And I mean, it's it's a knife fight. People are just knocking each other out of the way at the happiest place on Earth to get closer to the little robotic Grogo thing they've got going on there. I mean, that character is probably the best idea we've ever had in modern Star Wars. I mean, if you ignore the, the original trilogy, everything since then, Baby Yoda is the best merchandise seller and the thing that makes the product the most engaging. And fourth, we have Perfect Match from Netflix, 744 million minutes for 12 episodes. It's, of course, their, you know, the Avengers Endgame of reality dating shows. I'm not surprised it's here. I, I weep for humanity, but I'm not surprised at all it's here. And fifth is Wrong Side of the Tracks. This is 595 million minutes for 16 episodes. This is a uh, Spanish drama television series, like I guess a telenovela type series so sure why not i'm never surprised to see a spanish language series here they we've seen them before the second half of the top 10 this week is much more interesting than the top half yes absolutely 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 fascinating this week this whole the whole list in general really like i do wish we had the full number for outer banks but you know that's that's definitely one of the higher numbers we've we've seen and the next five shows yeah are really mostly interesting especially because the movies list this week is incredibly stupid and more on that in a moment in sixth we have a show called 1923 Yes, folks, this is on Paramount+. Plus. We finally have their ratings included in the Nielsen chart. 
Maybe it's that's all they, happening. Maybe that's why they took last week off. Yes, because they had to, you know, take they had to brace themselves to include the Paramount Plus shows. And this is 560 million minutes for nine episodes. This released weekly, started in December, released weekly. This was the season finale. So that's that's good, right? So yes. It's the Harrison Ford series and yes. also the year of Harrison Ford's birth, pretty much. Is that right? <laughs> yes. So we're going to joke about this, but uh, we shouldn't lose the the plot here. And the most important thing is with Peacock and Paramount Plus now recording, we're getting a legitimate look at all of the major streaming services in terms of Nielsen. So this is this is an engrossing number and it's, it's a strange way to approach this, but I would have expected a bigger number for 1923 just based on the fact that it is so wildly popular. And this kind of tells me that maybe Paramount Plus's audience still prefers cable television to streaming. Do you agree or disagree, Raul? No, I agree. I suspect that a lot of people that watch the original show Yellowstone on Paramount Network, which is only available on cable, would have liked to have watched the spinoff 1923, but getting them onto a streaming service to watch it might have been too much of a hurdle. There is an audience out there that could have been watching this that didn't because it was exclusively on streaming. I do have a couple of notes here. The first is I think every time we've ever been screwed by Nielsen because they skipped a week in the ratings was because the following week they added a new service, whether it was Apple TV Plus or HBO Max or Peacock. So this is consistent. Evidently, math is hard for the people whose job it is to count (laughs) ratings. And so when they add a new service, they kind of have to skip a week. I think you're right. Yes. Thankfully, we have them all now. Yes, it, it is a it is going to be fully fascinating now. Uh, I do wish we had this, you know, a month or two ago because I still think Top Gun Maverick probably would have crushed it on uh, Paramount Plus. But exactly, uh, I think, and, and we and we know these numbers are almost always going to be skewed heavily in favor of Netflix, just because every smart TV has Netflix, and that's essentially how they're how they're viewed. Not every TV has the other services. In fact, uh, my parents' primary TV will no longer allow them to stream Hulu. So yeah. it's, yeah, but 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 I, it, I, I'm i happy we are going to see shows from all the services now. And in a couple of weeks, we should have the return of the one Apple TV Plus show we've ever seen on this list. That's right. Catch up Apple TV Plus in their first week. Paramount Plus has already tied you yes. with a number of shows. But I do have to say, was this the week because 1923 was the highest rated show on Nielsen ever? We look back and we think about shows like Tulsa King, Mayor of Kingstown, and all the Star Trek shows. Would none of those ever have charted? And is that why Paramount Plus was telling Nielsen, no, no, don't put us on the charts. It would just be embarrassing to us. And here, finally, 1923 comes around and they were like, okay, you can chart us now because we finally have a show that would actually make the list. Yeah, possibly. I had the same theory a long time ago, if you recall, about Peacock, because, hey, remember The Office is on Peacock? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, how many times has that show been on the acquired list? Like none times? None. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I wonder if it is the same thing here. I am wondering now if we will get to see Picard as people are enjoying the the third and final season. So I do wonder if that will make the list toward, towards the end. But yeah, we don't get much else from Paramount Plus this week. We get one other minor thing, but I am just happy to to see it here. And I'm if we had the ratings all along, I'm, I would not have been surprised at all to see 1923 here because obviously it ties into the whole Yellowstone universe. And obviously it's Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren doing television. Uh, Seventh is a show I 
believe we've also seen before, Sex Life or Sex Slash Life, 500 million minutes viewed for 14 episodes. The second season released on May 2nd. Sarah Shahi in a sexually charged show. Of course, it's going to do well. <laughs> yes, I think you definitely mentioned her before. So yeah, we, we saw the show when the first season premiered back in 2021. Eighth is you, a former leader of the originals chart, 463 million minutes. And ninth, 418 million minutes for Chris Rock, Selective Outrage. Yes, this was his stand-up special that premiered live on Netflix on, what was it, March 3rd? March 4th. March 4th, okay. Yeah, so this is... So just two days, okay, so... And presumably nobody watched it on the second day. The charm of this was that you could watch it live as a community. Yes, uh, I think I I even called this kind of some proof of concept. And I think the only two other stand-up specials we've ever seen, one was Dave Chappelle and the other was a Jim Gaffigan one. So yeah, I would have said, I think the gimmick helped, the live gimmick. And also, I guess that whole slapping thing too probably contributed to some interest (laughs) to see if he had any comments about it. But yeah, I I am happily surprised to, to see it here. Yeah, this thing is almost exactly one hour long which means that we're just talking about, you know. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a staggering amount of people watch this special. I mean, it is probably quantifiably one of the most watched stand-up comedy specials of all time, based on the information we have. That would mean approximately 7 million people watched it. So, yeah. <laughs> and we're always, right. Most of them were live, too. So, I mean, it's there's a wow factor here. I would imagine there would probably be some lead time, but I imagine Netflix will try this more often in the future. Yeah. Since this was seems to be such a success. We wrap up the original chart with Next in Fashion, 402 million minutes for 20 episodes. It's a reality show and fashion design competition uh, that has now had its second season, which premiered on March 3rd. Movies, which I've mentioned uh, will be kind of stupid, is led by a movie that, well, that, this, one's, this part's not stupid. It's led by We Have a Ghost, 807 million minutes. That's nice. It had a really appealing trailer, a strong cast. So yeah, it delivered. Yep. This was actually the full week for it. Uh, It came out on the 24th of February. So it probably had a solid debut. And then I would imagine maybe took a jump for the full week. So yeah, sure. That's quite good for a Netflix original. Heck, you don't know. Maybe it had 2 billion minutes last week. Maybe. We'll never know. Thanks, Nielsen. (laughs) And unfortunately, yes, we, we have a ghost. Sadly, not a sequel to We Bought a Zoo. Uh, second, credited to Peacock and Netflix, R.I.P.D., 492 million minutes. I guess that answers the question as to where it was prior to this week, which was probably only on Peacock because a recurring theme on this list will be it came back to Netflix on March 1st because we flipped the calendar this month. So we got some new content and Netflix made you watch it for some reason. They couldn't get people to watch this in the theaters opening weekend no, when it came out. Not How at all. Yeah. Netflix. Right. Yes. I'm terrified of them. And I will say this as I was looking at what's trending on Netflix today. I just had it pulled up. Her IPD still there. We might be seeing this for a bit. Uh, well, yeah. It's Ryan Reynolds, King of Streaming. That's 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 all it is. Okay. Third, uh, this is where I leave you. 368 million minutes for a 2014 ensemble Oscar bait that failed. Guess what? This came back to Netflix. Uh, turns out on March 2nd. You know, we can joke about this and God knows we will, but there really is a remarkable phenomenon here where Netflix takes all of these failed projects 
buys them on the cheap and then sells them anew and does a better job in marketing them than the original companies did. I mean, it is a very impressive business model. Tim, I know when we would write about box office over the years, you and Kim, we would always talk about how studios just didn't seem to know how to market their products well. Mm -hmm. How is Netflix this much better? Are they just that huge? I don't use Netflix enough. Like I assume even if it's like we've, we've speculated all this time, every time an old movie pops up on this chart that they consider it new content, even if it's old. So they must put it front and center. And then that gets, and just that alone gets people to watch it. Maybe they realize it's an, it's a new movie. Maybe they think it's another movie. Just wait for the next entry. It's, it is amazing though. And, and probably needs to be studied more thoroughly in how they are able to do this. They make these movies seem like hits, even though they weren't. Yeah. So that next movie is Magic Mike XXL, 265 million minutes. And initially when I saw this list, I thought, oh, wow, they, the, the new one came out is already out on streaming. And no, no, this, this is not the new one. That is called Magic Mike's Last Dance. This is the one from tw- the sequel to Magic Mike from 2015. Say it with me, kids. Came back to Netflix on March 1st. <laughs> I did hope that, especially because people assume everything's on Netflix, maybe are people look were people looking for Magic Mike? Now maybe this is just because it came back. Were people looking for Top Gun Maverick when Top Gun made made the the ratings on Netflix? Probably, but yeah, it it is remarkable just the absolute power Netflix has, and I pray they never use it for evil. We have some things we've seen before, thankfully. In fifth, Minions, The Rise of Gru, 257 million minutes. In sixth, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, still hanging around, 251 million minutes. The ever-present Moana, in seventh, 245 million minutes. And hey, from Peacock, here is Megan, 242 million minutes. That seems awfully low, considering how well it did in theaters. But good for Peacock. Remember to always quantify these things. <laughs> yes, yes. I, that's I, I, true. That is true. Yes, we, we, we joke, but also given the limited factor, anything that's not Netflix that makes it here is, is is doing pretty well. And I was double checking the date that it arrived. I couldn't tell if this was, I think this was the week it arrived rather than like say a full week because we didn't get last week's numbers. And uh, ninth and 10th, we have some other new movies that also retained to Netflix on March 1st, but at least these are things people watched in theaters. Uh, ninth is The Hunger Games, the first one, 229 million minutes, even though the whole series actually just came back to Netflix at the beginning of March. But in 10th, The Hangover, part three, 226 million minutes. And yes, all three Hangar movies also arrived back on Netflix on March 1st. Lionsgate, I'm going to make you billions of dollars right now. Just set it up so that the John Wick universe eventually leads to the Hunger Games universe. There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> That's that. <laughs> just bridge them somehow. And that that is billions. Wow. Okay. Yes, I see it right now. Acquired is 10 shows we have seen before, led by The Last of Us, 1 billion minutes for its eight episodes. Uh, One more to go, I believe. Yep, the finale was on March 12th, so that will be reflected in uh, next week and probably the the week after's ratings. So I'm curious to see where where it lands from there, as it seemed like it kept up the momentum the whole whole season. Uh, The only other notable thing here, NCIS is in second, 826 million minutes, now credited to Netflix and Paramount+. Plus. Hey, because we have those ratings now, too. South Park still still here, Uh, New Amsterdam, Bluey up in fourth, Cocomelon now up to 21 episodes, thank God, 765 million minutes in third. And then, you know, stuff that's uh, ever-present, Grey's Anatomy, Big Bang Theory, Walking Dead, Gilmore Girls. Um, Though there is rule a show you think is missing now, especially now that we have the Paramount Plus ratings, right? Yeah, and this ties in a little bit to the NCIS numbers because I look back and NCIS has been consistently in the 700 to 800 million minutes watched even before the Paramount Plus numbers got factored in. So the fact that it got 826 million minutes this week, counting both Netflix and Paramount Plus, I would say 99.99% of those minutes 
minutes were on Netflix. So to Tim's point, there's another show that left Netflix to go exclusively on Paramount Plus that used to be huge on Netflix, and that's Criminal Minds. Not only the reruns, but also the entirely new series of Criminal Minds that came out. And that is neither on the originals list nor on the acquireds list. Yeah. So what what the hell, Criminal Minds viewers? Do better. Yeah. People are just not watching or binge watching these crime shows on streamers, which again, speaks a little bit to what David's saying is that Netflix viewers watch content differently than on other streaming services. I'd argue other streaming services are much more appointment viewing. People watch HBO Max specifically to watch the new episode of The Last of Us. People watch Disney Plus specifically to watch the new episode of The Mandalorian. People watch Netflix to turn something on and hit play and let it run for 20 hours a day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I honestly believe that is the entire consumer model described perfectly. It is. I mean, it doesn't have to make sense. It's just what people do. Netflix is the background noise for an entire generation of viewers now. Mm-hmm. I will add that we're seeing now because of all, basically all the streamers are listed here. Not, it's not really all the streamers. I don't know, maybe AMC Plus is being metered, but we just never see it. Discovery Plus doesn't get mentioned here either, but we are seeing all the major streamers here. And so we're going to start seeing a lot more of these split shares like New Amsterdam on Netflix and Peacock. Or RIPD on Peacock and Netflix. Sure, but anything it's something else and Netflix. Yeah. Netflix is doing 99% of the lifting. Let's be honest about that. I just wanted to call attention to something I learned, in fact, just yesterday. Apparently, uh, Community, the show I think we all enjoyed uh, on NBC, is on three different streaming services. It's on Hulu, Amazon Prime Video, and Netflix. Now, there's something different here where the episodes that play on Hulu and Amazon Prime Video are apparently the broadcast episodes, while the episodes that play on Netflix have somewhat different edits to them. In some scenes, you actually get different shots. It's very unusual. Yet Nielsen wouldn't necessarily be able to meter that to them. It's just community, community, community. So that's going to be unusual. It also begs the questions like, what's going on here? How is it that Netflix has a different cut of community than the other streamers? But that has more to do, presumably, as to how they license the episodes. It's just going to cause a little bit more confusion going forward. I would argue that there's a case to be made here for separating these shows by streamer. So that when we see that NCIS has 826 million minutes on the charts between Netflix and Paramount Plus, I want to see how many of those minutes were on Netflix versus how many of those minutes were on Paramount Plus, presumably 826 and zero. And you're absolutely right. And it's never going to happen because it's canteen conditions. Nobody's going to give away their water supply in the desert. So it's going to remain a secret. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Exactly. Kim, I think that for some various reasons, you would like to do green lights and cancellations, wouldn't you? Oh, maybe. Yes. And our green lights and cancellations this week. In the best news ever, Netflix has ordered a new anime series based on Scott Pilgrim versus the world with the original cast of the 2010 movie returning to voice the characters. Other than my dying, this is the best possible news Kim could have ever done. (laughs) 
I'm not joking. The woman was the only person in the theater on opening night cosplaying as Ramona Flowers. She is the number one Scott Pilgrim fan in the world, and she has been waiting for this a long time. And it's amazing that they have re-signed the entire cast, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yes, because there are some people in that cast, like Chris Evans. He does okay for himself. Wait, even Brandon Ralph? Yep. (laughs) Imagine that. May Whitney's no, in this. It I, doesn't matter how small I, your part was. Anna Kendrick's back. I, I mean, and I, I, and I can't believe Michael Sarah was free. Aubrey Plaza is <laughs> back. I mean, yeah, Michael Sarah. I actually showed that movie to my kids recently, and it does confuse at first. Hey, what's the deal with all the, these quick cuts and everything? But they ended up loving that movie. Of course, this is all based on the on a comic book. And so going back to the original animation style is a clever choice. And we know that there's a lot more material here than was shown in the movie itself. So this is a, this is really a very exciting project. Yeah, not only that, but this series wasn't complete when the movie was made. So the actual book series. So yeah, could be very interesting to see what they do here. And they are hinting that they're going to change some stuff because Brian Lee O'Malley is in charge of the project. So as the original author, he does have the right to do it if he wants. In other less important news, Netflix has renewed the spy thriller The Night Agent for a second season. I just binged this series and I'll speak more to it in my recommendations later, but this is not a bad move for them. It's actually been top of their charts for the last week as it uh, premiered on streaming. And it makes sense for Netflix to have renewed it given how popular it is. That we're a few weeks away from getting the numbers, but that to renew it that quickly, this must absolutely be going to crush it when we get those, those ratings in a few weeks. Amazon Studios has won an auction for an unpublished short story, The Dwelling, from Aaron J. Michael B. Jordan is among the producers for this project about a recently divorced ex-football star who finds a house buried in his backyard. The premise sounds very intriguing. It's a psychological, maybe somewhat horror thriller because he's a football player. He's received concussions in the past that he begins to question his sanity as dark and terrible things happen. While it hasn't been explicitly said, the lead is a very juicy role. And with Michael B. Jordan producing, it's likely he's actually going to be starring in it as well. Also, what the hell? Unpublished short story. Should I just open up a drawer in my house and start selling things? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) All right. And Paramount Plus had a lot of Star Trek news, announcing new seasons of Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks. And they announced a new series, Starfleet Academy. The renewals weren't unexpected. There had been a rumor that there was going to be a Strange New Worlds Lower Decks crossover, and they, in fact, confirmed it in the announcement. And David and I love, love, love Lower Decks, so yay. Yeah, the best part of this we haven't even mentioned yet. Mm -hmm. Tony Newsom, who voices Beckett Mariner on Lower Decks and is absolutely hysterical, is going to be part of the writer's room for the new series. How great is that? It's really awesome. As always, we close out the show with what's been keeping us busy this past week. And Tony Robinson 
of Blackadder. He plays Baldrick. And Time Team, which is a show that Raul really enjoys, has a new podcast. And it's called Tony Robinson's Cunning Cast. I have listened to the first episode, which was absolutely fantastic. It won't always feature guests from Blackadder. The next episode is actually about Stonehenge. But the first episode had Miriam Margulis, who played a few different roles on Blackadder, including the Spanish Infanta in season one and Lady Whiteadder in season two. She was wonderful. It was just a great conversation between the two of them. And I am really just excited to listen to the Stonehenge episode and also just see what else he might get up to. It was phenomenal. Raul, how about you? Let me tell you about The Night Agent on Netflix. I binged the show this week. I couldn't quite watch all 10 episodes in one night, but I did consider it. It definitely hooked me. The cast is largely unknowns and supporting characters you may have seen from other shows and movies. Perhaps the most recognizable face you'll see is Robert Patrick's, but his role is pretty small. The uh, lead is played by Gabriel Basso, who, as David pointed out last week, played one of the kids in the movie. Movie Super 8. Here, he's just another square-jawed white American male just trying to do what's right while saving the country. He plays Peter Sutherland, an FBI agent who works in a windowless room in the basement of the White House, sitting by a phone that never rings. But when the phone rings, Peter is drawn into a conspiracy that might bring down the country. I will say that the first half of the series is a lot stronger than the second half, which meanders before getting to its resolution. The series hits all the necessary tropes. I won't spoil them, but if you can picture a spy thriller, you might imagine some cliche and they used it. As we discussed earlier, The Night Agent and The Recruit, another spy thriller on Netflix that came out this winter, have both been renewed for a second season. The problem is that both of these shows run the risk of turning into campy slogs like The Blacklist or Blind Spot. The Recruit, at least, has some humorous elements to help differentiate it. I liked The Night Agent well enough. It kept me hooked long enough to want to know how it got resolved, but I wouldn't have been disappointed if it did not get a second season. Okay, thanks, Raul. How about you, Tim? As I've had a little more time and my mental health has improved, I have been able to go out and play some paper Magic the Gathering. I frequently talk about uh, Magic Arena, which I actually haven't touched in a while just because I wasn't really a fan of the formats, but I have been able to stop by some local game shops in the area that have, have Magic Nights and traditionally Commander Nights and have been able to play and uh, having a really good time and getting to play multiplayer magic with uh, the decks that I spend far too much money making. <laughs> I'm just happy to be able to get out again and, and play it in person. I uh, They are starting up some big regional events again. And there was one, I think, in Philadelphia like a month ago that a bunch of people went to. I think there's some others in other parts of the country. And hopefully I can make out to one of those later this year just because I've been to them in the past and the before times and they are always a blast. They they had a more competitive lean at the time, but now now it's more like just casual, just enjoyment of, uh, of the game and the, and the community. Uh, and they're they're always a lot of fun. So I'm I'm happy that I'm able to get to get to do that again. And I hope to be able to continue to do that in the future. And David, how about you? Oh, you know this one. What have I been playing this week, Kim? Resident Evil. <laughs> 
four. Yeah, so this week did not go the way I expected. I did something very, very unusual for me. I tried to take three days off. And of course, that was when the world broke for Disney for a bit. And Bob Iger just decided he was going to run around bitch slapping everyone. So I didn't wind up getting the free time I expected on this. But I have done the first two chapters of the Resident Evil 4 remake. I was an evangelist for the original game. And I would swear to anyone who would listen, it was the best video game of all time until that point. And and apparently I have lost all my magic because I was dying very, very early in the first two chapters of the new game. I mean, I couldn't do anything. They have changed it from where it used to be the over-the-shoulder model to the new first-person perspective. They had avoided that historically because Japanese people are the same as me and that we all get motion sick from certain camera angles. Well, they have since adapted with Resident Evil 7 and all the games beyond to create a new playing system. And apparently I suck at it, but that's okay because I'm having a great time. And Kim, it is absolutely gorgeous to look at, isn't it? Yes, it looks amazing. And... It has some pretty good jump scare moments. It does. And the merchant is back. And really, that's all I care about in life is hearing that character say, stranger, stranger. Resident Evil 4 is our happy place, isn't it, my love? It is a game we have loved for a long, long time. Um, This is a game about zombies, right? You guys are weird. (laughs) If this is the reason you think we're weird, you've missed a lot of other stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 